Now we're joined by Keith Wilson running for Portland City Council. Keith wants us to rethink Portland for the decade ahead with the goal of making the city more livable in every way. Second-generation Portlander, Mr. Wilson, says sweating the small stuff will help him get things done. He's with us in the studio to tell us more. Thanks for being here, Keith. You're welcome. Thank you, Emily. So tell us about you. What do voters need to know about Keith Wilson as a candidate? So I grew up in Portland. I was born here, okay. uh, North Port and Strong. So I went to Roosevelt High School. My uh, parents had five kids. We lived uh, North Portland, a couple blocks away from the, the public housing projects there, two blocks away. I grew up poor. But uh, you would have never known it. So there's seven of, seven of us in a two-bedroom home and had a great neighborhood, great community. Dad was a truck driver. Mom was a lifelong Avon lady, even to the point where she passed away. And so we had just a huge amount of community coming into our house. Dad was a race car driver. He and his brother built a car, so we were always poor for sure. And it was a wonderful upbringing. Roosevelt was a great high school. Uh, it wasn't really a college prep school more vocational, kind of a hard scrabble neighborhood. But I had always wanted to go to college. It just seemed to be that natural for me. And I don't know, from a young age, it just seemed like it was going to happen. And I don't know why. So uh, finished high school, went to Portland Community, Portland Community College, in fact, right across the street from where we're at right now. And it was perfect. I struggled in school. And moving and going to Portland Community allowed me to really kind of hone those skills, small class sizes. The teachers were great. Spent two years there, and I worked my way through it, paid for everything. And then I jumped Oregon State, and I graduated there with a business degree. And then again, just not satisfied with where I was at or what I was doing. It was a, a recession at the time, so I jumped on a plane, and I took an internship in New York City. Just wanted to do something different. I don't know why. So internships then were unpaid, unlike they are now. So now I'm in Manhattan, living, broke, and just put my head down and just started moving forward. And then three months later, I was able to work into a full-time job. Spent several years there and then moved to Europe. Uh, was working and living in London, traveled all through Europe, and then wanted to just continue on. So I traveled through four countries, 30, pardon me, four continents, 30 countries, and then I was living in New Zealand. And and that was, and I was interviewing for a career job at the time I was in television. So I was um, uh, working with a new network there. And at that time, I just realized after being away from Portland for five years, this has always been my love. This is mm. where my community was, my family was. And so I just came back and wanted to begin here. I was getting right back into uh, my profession. But then my dad, who at that point was a small business owner, was a small trucking company owner, started talking and he asked me to come join. I love him. And I thought it was a great opportunity from a young person to get into a business as uh, uh, smaller and uh, did that. Didn't know much about trucking at all. So I went to University of Portland and I got a master's degree at night just dove in and really started working. He retired. And then, of course, the recession happened. That was crazy hard. Mm -hmm. I was married at the time, but took all the lessons I learned, the education that I had, and then just uh, really started developing the business. And now, today, we're throughout Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. And I would say uh, we're one of the most modern, safe, and technologically advanced carriers in the nation. So... Mm -hmm. 
I could continue to go on. <laughs> um, and so you you have a well-established career. Why are you running for city council? So when I look around Portland and I judge it as to why I came back, I don't recognize it like I once did. I have mm. friends that are talking to me and they're frustrated. And our inability to clean and maintain our, our city, the sky-high housing costs, and then the persistent and growing homelessness mm-hmm. has me alarmed. So I'm going to completely change gears from what I know and what I do. I'm really good at running things and collaborating and coming up with policy that is innovative and never been done, but then works and working it through. So I want to bring that and I want to do that to Portland. I want Portland to be considered the most modern, safe, and technologically advanced carrier, or pardon me, city (laughs) in the nation, because we once were. Mm -hmm. Are housing and homelessness what you feel are the most pressing issues in Portland right now? Yes. Housing, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Homelessness is the most visible. Mm -hmm. Uh, They go lockstep. They're hand in hand. You know, one of the things that we see and are alarmed with is the homelessness. But when you look at what had happened, so since 1997, 66% of our public housing is gone. Having grown up right next to the largest public housing development in Oregon, you can see why the homelessness is growing. That certainly is one of the root causes. And then the way our city is managing it is also enabling or Um, from a homeless standpoint, we've normalized it now because Mm -hmm. we're not managing it at all. And what's your vision? How would you manage it? What are we doing wrong that needs to be fixed? Or what's a different path to manage it better? Okay. So looking at the numbers. So the point in time is a HUD. It's a a, um, housing urban development Mm -hmm. document that all the cities have to present. It's just like the census. It's every two years. Looking at the HUD report, 35% of the unsheltered. These are the people that you and I see on the streets. These are the things that, you know, view our inability in our city or um, we're not managing it well. 35% of our unsheltered are homeless upon arrival. In other words, they were homeless at a different location other than Multnomah County, and they came here. So when you dive down even more so into that, over 50% of that number are from outside of Oregon. Mm -hmm. So if it were somebody from Washington County or Clackamas or Beaverton or Salem or Bend, that would be considered local. But when we have such a large influx of men and women coming from outside of Oregon, Mm -hmm. it shows us that we're not managing our problem. In other words, we've our police have been removed from the situation altogether. We have a 40-hour camping ordinance. But these encampments are allowed to stay for days, weeks, and months on end. And so essentially we've normalized camping. And it continues to grow because we've created a destination for the encampments. Mm -hmm. So that's the root cause. And how you address that is we have to engage our police, our fire, our criminal justice, our homeless service advocacies to work together. The stakeholders have to work together. If you set up an encampment, it's not about citing people for homelessness or criminalizing it, but you have to move. Uh, every 48 hours, you have to move. At some point, you're going to say, I need to, I need to address services or I need to address the root cause of my either addiction or uh, mental illness or uh, maybe um, 
it's a foster child who just aged out and is on the street. We don't want that to be the case, so we have to draw those to services. Mm. I do have a solution as to if we're asking people um, to move often, um, my solution are pop-up shelters. So it's working in Australia. It's using existing structures in a temporary setting. Like when we go by Lloyd Center, the Safeway structure there has a large parking structure, or Lloyd Center in general has a large parking structure. People should not have to live outdoors, Mm -hmm. should not be susceptible to exposure or uh, the elements. They're going to uh, fall ill. I mean, Mm -hmm. we had 80 deaths on our street last year. And what I'm trying to say is that's not compassion at all. Watching somebody who suffers from substance abuse drifting towards death as we walk by, that's not compassion. So we have to provide temporary shelter so you can get a good night's sleep. If you're mentally ill, you're not going to be. um, It's if you're mentally ill and you're forced to stay up at night with one eye open because you're fearful of attack or somebody stealing your gear you're going to suffer from a psychotic break at some point. There's no way around it. So let's focus on taking these temp shelters, setting up light services, having navigation teams there. But you can't camp on the street, right? We will provide a safe night's sleep. We have to as a city from a dignity standpoint. We have to provide for our unsheltered. Mm -hmm. But living on the street and setting up encampments for months and years on end, that's not helping our society out. Mm. What's the next tier of needs that you see in Portland that you want to address on the city council? So housing and homelessness, we address that and get to a a better place for all of Portland. What's the next tier of needs that you see that you want to address? So I'm going to stick on the affordable housing. So we saw the 66% of public housing removed. We've seen our single room occupancies or micro units removed because we see the gentrification before us every day. We're taking these buildings, we convert it over to condos or whatever the case may be. We've seen thousands of those units. So that's deeply affordable housing that's gone. We have to add that back. These are single rooms that may or may not have a bathroom, but could and most have a shared kitchen. When I ended up in New York, broke as could be, wanted to make it happen. So I lived in a single room occupancy, a micro unit, and it worked out great. I had six other community members in that wing. We've removed all those in Portland. Now, our studio apartment here in Portland, average cost is $1,168. Imagine my son who graduates from high school. He gets his first job. He doesn't have the ability to live and work in Portland. Somebody who built this city and is living on Social Security or is disabled can't live in the city that they built because if you're living on seven, eight, nine hundred dollars of SSI or SSDI, you're not going to be able to afford that eleven sixty eight. But if we build back our SROs or our micro units at five hundred bucks, right, we have a swinging shot at getting into that unit at five hundred dollars. Now, at least there's a chance to live in an unsubsidized manner in our city, and we need to provide much more of that housing now. Mm-hmm. So that was, I know it was in the same sort of vein as... So how do you build a coalition to get 
things done. So as a city councilor, mm-hmm. it's about you know getting a majority of the council to to vote for your vision. It's about bringing social service providers. It's about bringing business into this Absolutely. conversation because it's very much a, a fissure in our community of, of folks who are like, not in my backyard yep. um, or business, not in front of my business. How, how would you as a city councilor build a coalition to actually make this vision real? All right. So it's not going to happen overnight. Mm-hmm. I sure wish we could just come up with a great idea and just make it happen overnight. I've learned through many, many years. In fact, my father was the best. He told me no, I think, on any idea I had, probably no less than 20 times. So as far as having the fortitude to work through no's. So a city council is a group of five. My mm-hmm. senior management team at my office, at my business, is a group of five. It's, it's amazing how it matches up. I never make a decision on my own. Mm-hmm. I always involve others. And any time it involves even a far-flung operation, Spokane or Seattle, I would always go there and ask for those individuals, here's what we're going to do, but they're the experts. So as far as the decisions we make, leadership is completely counter to what we think it is. We think mm-hmm. leadership is move forward, run the battle, make the decision, and continue to move forward. It's actually completely the opposite. It's a lot more grassroots, and it's a lot more difficult than that. You have to involve the council first, Here's my ideas. Getting kicked back in nose or often, then you have to support it with data and information, which is what mm-hmm. I, I wanted to provide to you early. Understand, get the data, be informed, but then go talk to people. And eventually, through a dogged approach, the right answer will always bear fruit, but patience is critical. So I, I need two other votes to make anything move forward. But through information and hard work and dedication, it, the right decision always is made. Council won't be a problem. Will I expect to be successful day one? No. But through the support of the city and council and working and collaborating, it always, we will make the right choices. We just have to understand what we need to achieve, what resources we have, and then move forward. But it's not a funding issue. I don't want to think that we have to throw hundreds of millions of dollars at this. We just have to have the fortitude to, to, to really help our city out. Mm-hmm. Why this position? There are four seats uh, in play, city council seats in play in this election, right. including the mayor being one of those. Why this particular seat? Specifically. So this is the seat that's held by Chloe Udaly. Right. She's our current commissioner of transportation. I have a master's in transportation. I couldn't think of going for a different seat. It would be a challenge for the mayor if Ms. Udaly said, I wanted to keep transportation. That is a half a billion dollar enterprise. I've worked the last 20, 25 years honing my skills as an expert in transportation. I know roads. I know artificial intelligence and, and uh, high tech. I understand infrastructure. I understand road charging. We have one of the most unique road charging mechanisms in the world in Oregon, and I know it. And it's, you know, so from those perspectives, I would be able to hit the ground running, and I already have a tremendous amount of ideas on what we need to do, but when you look at our roads, they're crumbling. Mm. So I work with experts around the nation uh, on how they address their roads and how they've been successful uh, on that. I was in L.A. uh, with the city there working on a brand new paving project that recycles a road in place. You don't need to bring out the old road or bring a new road, and then you use plastic bottles to combine with that existing road 
and then you combine it with some Gorilla Glue, but it's 90% mm-hmm. less environmental impact and it's lower cost. And so those are things that I've worked with cities around the nation to learn that are ready for Portland. We just don't even know about it yet. Interesting. Yeah. So you're up against an incumbent. Mm-hmm. You're also up against a former mayor. Right. So uh, two established candidates with name recognition. What's the path for your campaign to to win? So as far as being prepared and ready for the position, that's the path forward. Mm-hmm. It's the message. You know, in Portland, we feel helpless right now. And let's tie it back to the homelessness. So what are we going to do to move Portland forward? Mm-hmm. Right? We're entrenched and we're helpless right now. We're, we're not guiding ourselves and we're not governing ourselves. So what am I going to do to path forward? Is talking to you, Emily, right now. Letting Portland know that there's an option. You can continue to focus on the status quo. Mm. Or we can try and rethink how we're running our city and entrust somebody who's been successful at every stage of their life, who runs a business, who focuses on actual equity and inclusion. Over 50% of my senior management and supervisory team are women or people of color. It's not just talk. It's verifiable, consistent success experience. And so we have choices. That's what we're going to show Portland. So the best thing that Portland has right now is they have choices rather than just going back and going with what we know. Now we know somebody who can actually solicit people's advice, Mm -hmm. uh, focus on an honest and integrity-based level of communication, but it's time that we really focus moving Portland forward. How can our listeners learn more about your about you as a candidate and your vision for Portland? I promise I didn't ask you to say this. This is exactly <laughs> what I'm talking to everybody about. You got to go to keithforportland.com. I'm new to the scene. I've been running a successful business for, for, for two decades now, but I'm alarmed at what I see in Portland. And we have to focus on bringing people who love and know and how to drive change forward, but good change that involves everybody. So I need everybody's help. I need everybody's networks. I need their Facebooks, their Instagrams, their Twitter. So that's how, that's the path forward that you asked earlier, KeithForPortland.com. And thank you for asking. That's very of gracious course, of you. absolutely. And are there places where you, folks, where you want folks to show up? Do you have events coming up? Absolutely. Canvassing, anything? The website and social media is critical. We're posting it often. Uh, I had some television interviews yesterday. We have uh, um, community events that we're doing often, and that's the website is that critical point to go to. KeithForPortland.com? You bet. Okay. Thank you so much, Keith, for joining thank us. Thank you, Emily. Again, Keith Wilson, candidate for Portland City Council. You can find out more about him at his website, keithforportland.com.